Glad you're all here tonight. I am not going to ask you to turn to 1 John tonight. We've been doing that for many, many months. We're, we're turning somewhere else tonight. <laughs> so, um, in your Bibles, if you would turn to the book of Colossians. We are going to start a new study tonight. And I'm going to shut that off. Um, so, hopefully, we'll be able to, uh, I'm going to do my introduction tonight, and time permitting, uh, maybe we'll get into the first couple verses of the chapter as well. Um, we'll see how that goes. And uh, so, I want to just take a minute and um, have a word of prayer uh, as we get started with our Bible study for tonight, and um, ask God to help us uh, with His Word. Father in heaven, we thank you for another time to come and gather, and we thank you for the singing that we just had, and um, Lord, that we can sing about your amazing grace, that we can sing songs about Christ uh, to exalt him above everything else, Lord. And as we get into our new study, uh, I believe that is an overarching theme of the entire letter, Lord, is all about Jesus. So I pray, Father, that we would uh, grow in knowledge in this new um, study that we're entering into, and through your Spirit, Lord, that you would help us to have understanding, you would remind us of things perhaps we have forgotten, or teach us things that we've overlooked. We thank you, Lord, for the help that you give in, in all the knowledge and understanding that we have from Scripture. We praise you for it, and may you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am very excited about teaching through the book of Colossians here on Wednesday nights. And, and like I did in my study in Malachi, I got partway through and then got sidelined by COVID. Um, but then we came back after a while, came back here on Wednesday nights and finished, started that study over and finished it. So I'm glad to come back to this book because I started this book um, over a year ago and got sidelined by COVID as well. And so we'll get get uh, into this book here at the beginning again, and this time we will, uh, Lord willing, we will get all the way through it. So I'm excited about it. Um, and as you know, again, we just finished several months, a uh, long study through the book of First John, which was focused on um, refuting and attacking the false teachings uh, of the Gnostics regarding the person and work of Jesus Christ. And through that, John gave us as Christians several proofs of true salvation in order that we may know that we have eternal life. Uh, so we spent the last few months looking at that. And here in Colossians, we'll see that the Apostle Paul is tackling some of the same issues that John had to deal with in the church. Um, those things had also become a reality in the lives of the believers at this local church. Um, and like John, Paul will instruct about the person and work of Jesus and the false teachings of the Gnostic heresy, as well as um, other things. And so, in this introduction, I want to give just kind of an overview of what we'll be coming into contact with here in this short letter from Paul. And in chapter, uh, in chapter 2, verses 6 through 23 of this study, we'll see, uh, we'll be anchored in Paul's teaching about what it means to be alive in Christ. 
Okay, well, there's several verses there. Well, there's other things included in that, but that will be kind of an overarching theme there that we'll, that we'll look at. We'll be exhorted to hold fast to Christ as the head of the church um, and uh, to Christ as the substance and not the shadows. Right? We'll see the difference between Christ as substance as compared to the things that were just shadows. And in chapter 3, verses, starting verse 1 through chapter 4, verse 6, we'll be reminded to seek that which is above, okay? And to put off the old life, put on the new, okay? We'll, we'll have teaching on Christian living and relating to one another in all types of relationships, um, husbands, wives, um, parents to children, um, slaves to masters and masters to slaves, okay? We'll see Paul's teaching about those things as well in those relationships. And we'll see that all wisdom is found in the Word of God, um, and that everything we do should be done in the name of the Lord. That's something important for us to think about. Kind of scary sometimes if you really think about that. You consider all the things that we do in life, do we do them all in the name of the Lord? And like many of his other writings, we'll be admonished to be watchful in regard to our doctrine and attitudes and actions. And in chapter 4, Verse seven, verses 7 through 18, Paul, will, he'll name names. He'll name the names of many of his partners in the work of the gospel. And in so doing, will teach us how we ought to think about and to remember those who are faithful and diligent workers in service to the Lord and that relationship that we have there with, with such people. And we'll also see that Paul expects Christian fellowship among churches, right? And that then that that fellowship must be based on the truth and the foundation of the Word of God. Without that as the foundation, there is no unity, there is no fellowship. Um, and you may have noticed that I started out my little overview here, and, and I didn't start in chapter 1, I started in chapter 2. Um, and why did I skip chapter 1? Well, it's because I wanted to save the best for last, even though it's first. Uh, it's because I wanted to point out how how supremely important um, understanding the subject matter in chapter 1 is to correctly understanding the rest of the letter. It's very important. The apostle has written some of the clearest and loftiest and most important words regarding the Lord that we find anywhere in Scripture. We have here in the book of Colossians. And if you can come away from a study through Colossians and not understand that there's nothing better, no one higher, no, no one more important or and unmistakably necessary than the person and work of Jesus Christ, then you had plugs in your ears the whole time. Right? We, we, we will come away from this having much greater knowledge and appreciation for Christ as being supreme over all things. So in, in chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 5, kind of a big section there, we'll see how crucial Paul's words are for, for setting the tone, the, the foundation for the rest of the letter. Okay, and Paul begins with one of his common greetings, uh, then he moves into a, um, a wonderful prayer of thanksgiving for the changed lives of the people of the church through the gospel. He's, he's giving thanks for the gospel, he's giving thanks for the hope of salvation, um, and God's powerful, ongoing work in the lives of Christians. We'll see all of that. Paul will 
He'll talk about his own ministry of, of suffering for the church um, and the fruit that is produced from, from his struggle. But, but more than any of those things, we'll see the perfection, the power, and the preeminence of the God-man, Jesus Christ. He will be exalted above every other thing. Jesus is front and center in this letter. He is the preeminent one. He surpasses all others. And Paul makes clear in this letter the eternality of Christ, okay? the deity of Christ. Probably the clearest statements in all of Scripture about the fact that Jesus is God himself. And about the, the work of Christ in creation, we don't often think about that, but we'll see what Paul has to say about the work of Christ in creation. And of course, the gracious work of Christ in reconciliation, in redeeming lost sinners. And the people of Colossae, they needed this letter from Paul. Uh, it's, it's like a rallying cry to the church to come and, and remember the one whom they had trusted, okay, the, the preeminent one, to come and live for him. He's, he's writing this letter, yes, they're having some troubles, they're having problems. The false teaching is coming in, there's confusion. He's having to write to correct those things. But really, as a Christian, when you go through this and we see the things that he has written about Christ and about our life in Christ, we should see it as a call to come back to the truth, to come back to the understanding of who Christ is and what he's done, to rest in the truth that he's the creator of heaven and earth, there, that he is the redeemer, the reconciler, the savior, um, the one that, that Paul is in chains for, the one that the apostles and many hundreds throughout church, church history have died for. Joseph Cook writes an account of the death of the Christian martyr Pionius, who was asked by his judges, what God dost thou worship? He replied, I worship him who made the heavens and who beautified them with stars and who, was, who has enriched the earth with flowers and trees. They said, dost thou mean, asked the magistrates, him who was crucified? They're asking him, are you talking about Jesus? And he says, certainly, replied Pionius, him who the Father has sent for the salvation of the world. As Pionius died, so died Blandina, and the whole host of those who in the first three centuries, without knowing anything of the Nicene Creed, held it implicitly, if not explicitly, and proclaimed it in flames and in dungeons, in famine and in nakedness, under the rack and under the sword. This is... Christ. This is who Christians die for. Christians haven't and don't die for a myth or a phantom um, or, or just a man. They serve and suffer and worship and die for the God of the universe, the one. The one who gave himself as a propitiation for their sins, as we saw in, in our study in 1 John. The one who suffered and died under the wrath of God in their own place. So just as the Colossian people needed this letter, we too need it. The deity and the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ um, are still under attack today, just like they were back in Paul's time. 
even inside the walls of supposed Christian churches, the deity of Christ is attacked. The resurrection of Christ is attacked. So I pray this study will, it will enrich your lives and strengthen your understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of the church, as your Savior, and as the creator of heaven and earth. Of course, Colossians is not just the title of this book. It's the name of the city in which church was writing. It's the name of the city in which this church was located that Paul is writing to. Okay, and, we, and we know that this letter, if you have your Bibles open to Colossians, a couple of passages I want to look at here, then we know that this letter was written by Paul because in three places in this letter he identified, identified as such. Uh, Colossians 1, 1, the very first verse there, Look how he starts the letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Okay, he's, he's identifying himself there as the author. That's how he, he begins this letter. I, Paul, am writing this letter, basically, is how he's saying that. If you look down in chapter 1, down to verse 23, and look what he says there as he's continuing a, a statement that he's making. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith... Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Okay, so he identifies himself there again as the author. And in the very last verse of the whole letter, chapter 4, verse 18, he says there, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Okay, so Paul, clearly Paul is the author of this letter. He's identified himself as such in three different places. Uh, Colossae was a city in the region of Phrygia, if that's the correct pronunciation, which at the time was a part of the Roman province of Asia. And if you, I don't know if you have any maps in the back of your Bible, but you can look back there and see if you can kind of grasp a place where this is at. But, but today it would be part of, part of Turkey. Um, in the same area as the seven churches that are written about in Revelation, the first three chapters of Revelation, it is that same area there. About this, this city is about 100 miles east of Ephesus, um, 10 miles from Laodicea, which is also one of the seven churches mentioned, um, and is, it's mentioned in this letter, uh, Laodicea is, and so Colossae is not very far from that, 10 miles. I mean, what, here from Weed something like that, um, and 13 miles from Hierapolis, which is also mentioned in this letter. There's some specific locations mentioned in the letter itself. Um, and Colossae was, it was a very important point um, on the trade route in the 5th century B.C. Um, when the Persians controlled the region. But by the time that this letter was written by Paul, the Romans were in power, and the, and the trade route had been changed. It, it had been rerouted um, to go through Laodicea. And you can imagine um, how the, the changing of the main route of trade would also change the city of Colossae. You know, a once bustling place where everybody wanted to go through um, is now, it kind of reminds me of that cartoon movie Cars, right? What was the name of that city? Radiator something or other. Radiator Springs, yeah. You know, it's really happened in place, and then they put the interstate in, and next thing you know, it's this, nobody knows about it anymore, and all the cars are there just roaming around by themselves. Nobody ever comes through there anymore. It kind of makes me picture that when I think of Colossae. 
um, because things changed. The route had changed, and so people didn't go through there anymore like they did. It wasn't really on the way to something. Um, so that really changed the city. It, it, it affected the importance of that city in the region. And it was mainly a, a Gentile population. There, there was a, a large Jewish community there, and the Jews had been around there since the 200s B.C., um, I think that's important to this study in Colossians too, because some of the errors that are that Paul addresses here are because of the pagan mysticism um, of the Gentiles, and and also some because of the uh, Jewish legalism that that was still there. And you have both uh, because the city is made up of both Jew and Gentile, and therefore when when the gospel is preached and the church is started. You have converts from both segments of society bringing with them some of their, their old ideas um, that needed to be rooted out and gotten rid of. Right? They're trying to bring them along with their Christianity, and they don't, they don't mix. Um, and I've used this example before, but if you can imagine the city of Mount Shasta having no Christians in it at all, in fact, no knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if the gospel had never come to this city at all, but it still had all the other pagan religions that are prevalent here in the area. And then imagine that someone does come and preaches the gospel, and people are saved through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, Um, and then the local church is started here in town. Well, what kind of a mixed community would be in that church? Open question. Knowing what you know about our area, what kind of a mixed congregation would there be? Perhaps some new age, right? People that come out of the new age movement. Right, yeah, people that worship creation. They, they worship the mountain, they worship crystals, um, whatever else it might be. There are lots of people around here that go beyond just enjoying God's creation to actual worship of the creation itself, uh, totally ignoring the Creator. What else? Anything else you can think of from what you know of our community? What else might be mixed in there? People who are interested in making money? Okay. Yeah, no, that's true. You know, you'd have a... That would be part of the mix. People that didn't have any religious affiliation at all, perhaps. You know, their life was just about making money. They, it's a self-worship, really, but that's what they would bring in, so they wouldn't necessarily have any mixed beliefs from other religious systems, but they would certainly be having to get rid of their own self-worship. We'd probably have some Buddhism mixed in. Um, what was that? Iamers, yeah, part, part of the New Age stuff. Any others you can think of? So you have this mixed group, right? A, a church now, those who have, and I'm talking, they have, they have truly come to faith in Christ. They've believed the gospel, um, the, the basic gospel unto salvation. They've repented of their sin. They've put their trust in Christ as their Savior, believing He is who He said He is. Um, but imagine that church without ongoing teaching or without leadership 
Um, what types of things might they tend to try and mix with the gospel of Jesus Christ based on the list we already gave? What do you think? What's that? Idols? Absolutely. Yeah, like I'm speaking of the, the worshiping of the creation, right? They might try to somehow incorporate crystals or thing objects, you know, maybe that they might want to put up on a stage or something like that, thinking there is some power in those things or some, uh, something to them that they need to pay attention to. What else? Yeah, worshiping Mother Earth, right. Again, ignoring the Creator. You know, the Earth is not to be worshiped. The Creator is. Worshiping angels, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Okay, shifting, if you didn't hear that, shifting from worshiping Christ Himself to Christ consciousness. Absolutely. That kind of goes along with the Gnostic heresy and, and what they were teaching, and that is something that, that Paul's dealing with here. That's kind of been brought in here. Anything else you can think of? Because of the mixing of all those groups, what are some other things that might be brought in? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so changing um, information that we have about angels, including Lucifer, right? Um, making the Scriptures say what it doesn't say about him. Um, yeah, sure. Anything else? Okay, so the, the healings, things like that... It, it, are you saying like maybe they would attribute it to something else or? Right, right, yeah. So we, we'll probably talk, talk about some of that here too, for sure. Food and clothing type of issues, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you can see how it, after a while, as you people try to cling to old things, how silly it would get after a while. And you think about the fact there is there are Jews mixed in here, so they might be bringing in things like from the old covenant, trying to hold people to um, old covenant things. We'll see that in here. Things that are really shadows, things that pointed to Christ but are not Christ. Um, and so Christ has come and, and replaced those things. The old is gone, the new has come. They would be, you know, especially mixing in the, with some of the New Age teachings. Some of them even claim Christ in some fashion, but they would say he's just a man, he's maybe a good teacher. Um, they would acknowledge that sense, but not acknowledge his deity. They would not acknowledge that Jesus is God. And Paul very strongly goes after that in this letter. What would? Pot? <laughs> I'm, you're probably right. Yeah, around here for sure. Marijuana would be mixed in somehow, right? They probably have a dispensary in the fellowship hall back there. 
for sure. That, those, and probably many other things that we can't even think of right now are they, they're things that would have to be rooted out. You know, how many of you, when you came to faith in Christ, knew everything there was to know about God and, and His Word and how we should live as Christians? None of us knows everything or knew everything. It's the same with these people. They would, they'd heard the gospel. God had changed them. He had saved them, brought them to faith in Christ. But over time, they need teaching. They need to be shown, yeah, that's not of God. That needs to be gotten rid of. And even for us today, as, as we're shown from Scripture that something we've believed is wrong, we need to be ready to get rid of it. Do away with that thing and go with what the Word of God says. So it's a process. And they were going through the same thing. There's things that needed to be gotten rid of. And not just that they had individually brought things with them into their faith, but now you also have others coming in with new teachings, different teachings. It's not just that they brought something with them, but others are coming in to try to teach them things, drawing them away from the truth of the Word of God, which goes to the Gnostic heresy and other things where false teachers would come in and because they're not grounded in the Word of God and, and perhaps don't have the teachers they need to have, they're susceptible to false teaching. And so Paul is, is addressing these things in this letter. Um, and all those things is, what, is what's happening to the church at Colossae. Um, because of all the backgrounds that were brought in with the people, and, and they needed correction and strong leadership. And it's, it's interesting that the mixing of religious systems is similar today to what it was then. Right? It's, there's really nothing new about these kinds of things. The church then and the church now, that's uh, the same, same old things. And that's why it's important for us to study and get to know some things about church history because these battles have been fought. They've been fought before. We don't, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, right? We, we can see how the church, the true church, has dealt with these false teachings in times past. And here we have uh, the Word of God actually directly going after false teachings and giving us the truth. Um, so in an absence of, of sound teaching, we have to remember that people can be easily swayed, begin to forget the truth and, and try to mix in lies with the truth. Many times, not maliciously or, you know, even intentionally, but they haven't been taught. They don't know. And um, they're not being told to be discerning about these things. So it's very important. And so apparently there was similar problems in the church at Laodicea because this, this letter is supposed to be read in that church as well, as we will see later on. Um, they, Paul wanted the church of the Laodiceans, to read this letter that he's written to the Colossians. And he wanted the Colossians to read whatever he wrote to the Laodiceans. So in chapter 4, verse 16 in Colossians, it says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So that's interesting, right? There's this sharing of information that Paul wanted them to have. Now, this letter to Laodicea we don't have as part of the, the canon of Scripture, um, so we don't know what was written in there. But he wanted them to, to share those letters. He wanted them to know what he wrote to the, other, to the other people as well. And Paul is not the one that brought the gospel to Colossae, and, and he did not start the church there. In writing to them about um, 
in chapter 1 about his prayer, his prayer of thanksgiving. Paul indicates that they first heard the gospel from a man named Epaphras. If you look in chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, he says, Just as you heard it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. See, they've, they've heard from Epaphras. Epaphras has taught them, and he's also connected with Paul. He's made Paul aware of their, um, their love in the Spirit as well. Um, we also learned that Paul um, likely had not met them in person yet. He, he wasn't the one that started that church, and he's writing a letter to them as an apostle, but he hadn't met them yet, it appears, in, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. Look what he says there, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Okay, so it seems that he hasn't, they haven't met him yet. They, they, they perhaps know of him, but they haven't met him yet. And here he's writing a letter to them um, as an apostle of Christ to give instruction. And the church in Colossae was most likely started during Paul's three-year time period in Ephesus. Um, perhaps Epaphras had gone to Ephesus and came to Christ there and then brought the gospel back to Colossae. And that's how they, they heard the gospel first, through him. Um, as Paul refers to Epaphras as his beloved fellow servant and faithful minister of Christ on behalf of the church there. And along with letters he wrote to the church um, at Ephesus and to a man named Philemon, which you've heard. Uh, he wrote this letter to the Colossians between 60 A.D. and 62 A.D. Paul was a prisoner in Rome uh, when he wrote um, these letters. These are letters are commonly called prison epistles. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, but he wrote them from prison. And if you look at a couple of references here, in, first of all, in chapter 4, well, all of them are in chapter 4. If you want to look there, in chapter 4 of Colossians, verse 3 where he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Okay, so we know he's in prison. Down to verse 10, it says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Another indication he's in prison, and then again the last verse. We already read that once, but let's look at it again. Verse 18 of chapter 4, I, Paul, write these greetings with my own hand. Remember my chains. Okay, he's, he's indicating to them and reminding them he is in chains for Christ. He is in prison because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we'll see later, um, it appears that Epaphras was uh, very concerned about the church and left there to go to Paul. Uh, while he was in prison and bringing him news of the heresies that had made their way into the church. That's how they did things. You, know, you have messengers. Messengers from the church would get sent, and they would bring information, just like the church at Philippi, um, where they, um, have, they sent a messenger to, to Paul, not only to bring information, but to minister to Paul as well. And no doubt he was, uh, Epaphras would have gone to Paul, and he'd be seeking wisdom from Paul. Um, and counsel from Paul on how to deal with the problems going on there. But he was also a fellow prisoner, according to Paul. Paul's own words tell us that uh, when he writes to Philemon, he tells us about Epaphras. 
Uh, in Philemon chapter 1, verse 23, Paul writes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So when he writes to Philemon, he greets Philemon and says, my brother Epaphras is also greeting you, and he is my fellow prisoner. So at some point, Epaphras was also a prisoner. He was uh, a prisoner with Paul. Don't know for how long or during what time period for sure. But even today, the words of this letter are uh, intended to give truth, again, about the deity of Christ. Um, these, these words, e- even though they are in Scripture, uh, even today, groups, cults, will, they'll use even the Scriptures to deny the deity of Christ. Somehow they twist them to, and use them to try to deny the deity of Christ. So like I said, it's, uh, it's still under attack today. The, the person work of Christ are, are under attack today, as they always have been. Uh, but we should see and know that he is, he is not a created being. Jesus is not a created being. He's, he, uh, we should see and know that we cannot lose our salvation. There's, there's no purgatory. We don't assist Christ in our salvation by our own good works. Um, so there are many things uh, in this letter that, that we will see but I think the thing, the biggest thing we'll come away from this study with is, is being reminded, I mean, we know this to be true, but we need to be reminded sometimes how uh, much better Jesus Christ is than anything or anyone else, that our focus needs to be Jesus Christ. Um, he is God. He is eternal. He's the creator of all things. And we will see that as we go through this this letter, this letter that Paul wrote to the people in Colossae. And so we have a little bit more time. Maybe I'll get started into chapter 1 here. Um, and the, the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned before, he starts this letter off by identifying himself as the author of the book, um, but also that this letter is, he sort of writes it on behalf of Timothy as well. Um, it comes with the thoughts and prayers not only of Paul, but of Timothy as well. And, and I don't say thoughts and prayers like that gets thrown around today. You know, every politician who there's some tragic event or whatever, they always say our thoughts and prayers are with you. Um, and I don't know about you, but it seems to me like they're just saying that. I don't know how many of them are actually doing it, but that's certainly not what Paul and Timothy are doing. If they say that they are praying for them, they are praying for them. Um, and this letter contains thanks, uh, thanksgiving uh, and prayers for the church. Um, and the idea is that that not only Paul, who's truly thankful and praying for them, but Timothy joins him as well in that. And Paul is very partial to Timothy. Um, how many of you remember what kind of relationship Paul had with Timothy? How did Paul view his relationship with Timothy? He, as his son, right? He was his true child in the faith. First Timothy uh, 1-2, he said, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how Paul viewed Timothy. That's the kind of relationship that he had with him. A father-son relationship. And just like with the Philippian church, uh, when, when Paul wanted to send Timothy to them in his place because he couldn't go, he wanted to do so because he knew how much Timothy loved the church and how Timothy would care for the church just like he would. Um, I want to back up now to the first part of, uh, of that verse uh, at the beginning of Colossians here because Paul gives his credentials. He gives his authority to write this letter. Now, he describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. First, he is an apostle. What is an apostle? 
Okay, that is one of the criteria for being an apostle, yeah. Apostello is the verb form of the Greek word, and it means to send or to send forth, okay, as to, to order someone to go to a place. And um, apostolos is the noun form that we see in our passage describing the person who is sent. He's sent with orders, and that's Paul. He is an apostle sent by Christ with orders. This is how Paul describes himself um, as the sent one. He describes Jesus as the sender, uh, the one who has the authority to send. He is a sent one of Christ Jesus. To be an apostle, you had to, have, you had to meet certain criteria. One of those was already mentioned. Right? One of those is you have to have seen the resurrected Jesus. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 9.1. 1 Corinthians 9.1 says, am I, and, and again, this is Paul writing, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? These are all rhetorical questions, of course. The answer is yes. He is free. He is, he is an apostle. And he had seen the Lord Jesus. And we know from Paul's conversion story, he had seen the resurrected Jesus. On his way to Damascus to, to imprison Christians, Jesus comes, confronts him on the road, and Paul um, uh, is, um, he's, comes to faith in Christ on the road to Damascus. Damascus. And so he has an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Another criteria is that... Uh, that he was sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He had to be sent by God, not sent by someone else. Right, Galatians 1.1, again, Paul writing. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He, he made it clear. This is not, you know, Joe Bob down the street didn't send me. Now, this isn't a bunch of us got together and said, yeah, go ahead, you're an apostle. This is from God, from Jesus, that he is an apostle. Another criteria for being a true biblical apostle, he must possess the signs of a true apostle. Second uh, Corinthians 12, 12 says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Okay, these are the signs and wonders that Jesus himself gave the apostles to do, to authenticate the message of the gospel. Right? They were given the power by Christ to, uh, like was mentioned earlier, to go and to touch people and to heal them, to cast out demons. All the things that they were doing, these signs and wonders were given by Christ, not so that people could focus on the apostles and the signs and wonders they could perform and say, oh, how amazing you guys are. These were done to show to, to authenticate the message is about the message of the gospel, salvation in Jesus Christ. And so Christ gave these powers to the apostles so that this message going forth would be shown to, to be going forth in power. And so that was one of the requirements for being an apostle, that they had to have been given this ability by Christ. And, and the last one here is um, he had to receive the knowledge of the gospel directly from Jesus. A true apostle had to receive that knowledge directly from Jesus. Back to Galatians 1, uh, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, 
but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, this is, again, Paul writing Galatians. He wasn't one of the 12. He wasn't, he wasn't walking for three years with Jesus, learning from Jesus there. But after Paul's conversion, he spent time with Jesus, and Jesus taught him directly. The other apostles, they did have that direct teaching from Jesus, so they're still qualified to be apostles. But that's the point. You had to have been taught by Christ. So with those in mind, and despite the claims today of high-profile people, um, there are no apostles today. This is a, there's a huge movement today of people who believe they're apostles, and they are making themselves apostles. They are declaring other people apostles. None of, nobody today learned from Jesus Christ himself. Nobody today has seen the resurrected Jesus. Nobody today has, can perform the signs and wonders of the apostles. Uh, so, so not only do they not even meet one of the requirements, they don't meet any of them. So the second part of that opening statement is that his apostleship was by the will of God. Again, reminder that this is, this is not from man. He's not doing this on his own. He's not hey, saying, hey, I learned a bunch of stuff, so now I can be an apostle. This is by the will of God. And so he didn't, didn't make himself an apostle. He didn't join the apostles' club. Okay? But nowadays, you can, you can go to a website, and if you pay money, you can become an apostle. And you can get a discount if your wife joins you to be an apostle. Et. Apostle et. Okay? It's silliness. That is not who the apostles were, and you, you cannot be an apostle today. Why is it important that we know this seemingly basic principle? Why do we need to know this about the apostle? Why is it important that Paul writes this to them? What do you guys think? Okay, yeah, I didn't hear the very first part of what you said. Okay. Right, a solid foundation that we can believe and learn from as the truth. And somebody else said something. Okay, same thing. Yeah, it's, it's authority, right? We need to know it because we need to know where, where the authority is. And here we have the Word of God, and the Word of God is authoritative, and He's He's claiming here and proclaiming that he is an apostle by the will of God. And we have to know this. Uh, and it's important so that we know when someone comes claiming, I'm an apostle, you can just dismiss it. Just dismiss it. They're, they're either deceived or they're just flat-out liars. Whatever it is, they are not an apostle. Uh, so we need to know this. And looking at, at verse 2 there, he said, now, so we've seen his greeting, we've seen he's identified himself, he's given his authority to write this letter, and now, verse 2, he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. So he's, he's saying who the letter is addressed to, okay? Um, he says, to the saints and faithful brothers. Um, and he's not making a distinction here. There are not two different classes of Christians, the saints and the faithful brothers, they're not two different classes. He, he's referring to them as both things, okay? Uh, it's, it's two ways of referring to the same thing. Christians are saints 
Hopefully we all know that. Whereas some denominations uh, that claim to be Christians will talk about saints as if they're others. We are not that. You, to do that, to be that, you have to do all these things and then be proclaimed a saint, right? You are, you are made a saint, a child of God at the moment of salvation. We are, we are saints. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, 2 says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And Christians are brothers and sisters by adoption. Ephesians 1, 5 says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. And all this, of course, is only possible by being in Christ. And this, this greeting is directed at the saints and brothers in Colossae, hence, of course, the title of the book. Um, and uh, so this is all something that he lays out at the very beginning of his letter to give his credentials, to give his authority for writing, and to address it to who he's writing to. And so we know moving forward now who Paul is. Like if you had never read any other book of the Bible... Now you would know who Paul is, and you would know who he's writing to, and who he identifies them as. So we're reading a letter written to Christians. So for you and I today, as we read this letter, we can read this letter and, and get the principles from here that he's writing to Christians, because these apply to us as well. Okay. So that's, that's all the time we have for tonight, but I, I hope that you, your interest is sparked in and seeing what we'll learn in this book, and, and like I said, of the most importance is of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Christ will be elevated above everything else in this letter. Uh, and it's, it's really a wonderful thing. We'll see some really strong language identifying Christ as God. Uh, it's very important for us when we come face-to-face with those who claim He's not. We can have these scriptures in mind and be able to take them right to the Bible and say, He is. And these are just a few, but these are, I think, are some of the clearest in Scripture declaring that Jesus is God. So let's close in prayer for tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this night. We thank you for this uh, new study in Colossians. Um, Thank you, Father, for the preeminence of Christ. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of that that we will see in this letter over and over again. And uh, Lord, I pray that we would grow through this study. Be prepared to um, give an answer to those who claim things that are contrary to Scripture, that we would be able to bring the Word of God to bear on those discussions, Lord, and, and share with them the truth of the Word that Jesus is eternal. He is creator of everything. He is our Redeemer, our salvation. We thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy and kindness to us. We thank you for all the time that we have to gather and fellowship with one another as your children. Give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.